As I talked to the kids this morning about the idea of light, that's the theme that we're going to be talking about today. Um, As I was reading Isaiah chapter 42 last week, if you'll remember, the word justice kept jumping off the page at me and I did a full study on what justice meant in the Hebrew culture at the time of Isaiah and even to today. Um, But I didn't feel released to leave Isaiah 42 and so we're back at Isaiah 42 and we're going to be reading just the first 16 or 17 chat verses of Isaiah 42. But the, but the theme for this morning is light. And again, this is something that I just felt like God was saying, I want you to talk with my children about light this morning. And so let's go ahead and read Isaiah chapter 42. Uh, it'll be, like I said, verses 1 through 17, I believe it is. Behold... My servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faintly, excuse me, he will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says the Lord, says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass And new things I now declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fill it. The coastlands and their inhabitants. Let the desert and its cities lift up their voice. The villages that Kedar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord. And declare his praise in the coastlands. The Lord goes out like a mighty man. Like a man of war. He stirs up his zeal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. For a long time I have held my peace. I have kept still and restrained myself. And now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. I will lay waste mountains and hills. And dry up all their vegetation. I will turn the rivers into islands. And I will dry up the pools. And I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know. In paths that they have not known. I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light. The rough places into level ground. And these are the things I do. And I do not forsake them. They are turned back and utterly put to shame who trust in carved idols, who say to metal images, you are our gods. As we talked last week about this chapter, this first part of the chapter, the the first nine verses of Isaiah 42, 
are what's known as a servant song. It's one of five servant songs in the book of Isaiah. Talking about this anointed one, this Messiah, the servant of the living God who comes and does the will of God. And I told you last week that some scholars think that this servant might be talking about the nation of Israel, but many scholars, the preponderance of scholars say, no, this is actually talking about an individual and they ultimately understand and believe that this talks about the Messiah who we understand and know to be Jesus. So this passage that says in verse six is in verse six and seven, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness is talking about Jesus. I, the father will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light to the nations to open the eyes that are blind to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Now, one of the things you may not be aware of is that back in the day when Isaiah was writing, dungeons were carved out of the, the bedrock and literally they were holes in the ground with no light, no fresh air coming in. This is just a hole basically that they were kept in. It wasn't the prison system that we have today with you know, with uh, air conditioning and heat and, and getting out into the daylight for a period of time every single day. They literally sat in the dungeon and could be there for the rest of their lives, or at least they could be there for years. And so these words that God is saying, the Father is saying through Isaiah is, I have a person who's coming and he's going to rescue you. You are stuck in a darkness that is thick and inescapable. You're prisoners in a dungeon. But I am going to send my anointed one with a covenant for all people to act as a light for every human being, for all nations. And this anointed one, this Messiah, is going to open the eyes that are blind and set the prisoners free. And... As I reflected on this, I was like, I love the words because I experience it for myself. Okay, I, I was one who walked in darkness. I was one who was spiritually dark. I was one who was, if you will, in a, in a prison. And Jesus intersected with my life called me out and I am now a follower of his one who's desperately and desperately in love with him and I serve him with all of my life and now I am a carrier of the light if you will but if someone were to say to me Bob I was reading this passage out of Isaiah this week and I read about this guy that God the Father is called forth who's going to be a light for the nations and open the eyes of the blind. And they asked me this question. I couldn't give them a direct answer right away. And that was this simple question. What kind of light is he talking about? I'm sorry? Christ? Okay. If somebody asked you that question, how would you explain what this light is? I'm sorry? Joy? Okay. Which one do you want? 
He's what gives us, the it is what gives us life. Okay. That's, I'll give you your $5 later because that was the next thing we're going to be going to. So let's go ahead and turn there. John chapter 8, verse 12. During his time on the earth, Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that God sent with this new covenant to bring light to the ones in darkness, said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So here is a small expanding of what this light is. It is the light of life. Still not real helpful if I'm trying to explain this to someone who doesn't know God. What is the light of life? I'm sorry? A changed life. Okay. I don't disagree. I'm just, I'm wanting to dialogue. A moral change in me as opposed to the rest of the world. Okay. Okay. So not having life, there's a darkness, but being in the light, there, it is life. Yeah. Okay. The light, the light destroys the darkness. Okay. The light brings hope. Okay. I'm sorry? God is the light. Well, that Jesus himself said, I am the light. Okay. Um, I'm sorry? A renewed spirit when God comes in. Okay. Yeah. I think of the... My amaryllis bulb that I pulled, I put it in the closet so it's dark and cool, and it doesn't do anything until I pull it out and put it in the light, where it, where the light is what triggers the growth. Okay. Rejuvenating. Renewing. Or restoration. Restoration, rejuvenating, renewing. Okay. There's freedom and light. There's bondage and darkness. Okay. Are you talking spiritually? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. 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 Satan is the ruler of the kingdom of darkness. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. There's turmoil in darkness. Okay. Okay. You know, if you have that light, you're going to 
Okay. So when light comes in, then there's a reconciliation between you and, and God, a vertical reconciliation, but there's also a writing of relationship, sometimes horizontally between you and fellow human beings. Is there, is there a, at least among believers. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. So if you if you say you love God, but you hate your brother, then you're a liar. And if, but you have to love, and the light's not in you. Okay. All right. Um, turn to Matthew chapter four. Matthew chapter four, the very first part of this um, verse, the first eleven verses, is the temptation of Christ immediately after his baptism. He then goes into the wilderness, and for forty days and forty nights he's tempted. And then finally the enemy leaves him, it says in verse 11, and angels come and minister to him. And then there's a change of scene. And it says, verse 12 through 17, now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into the region of Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in the village known as Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, if you were to do a study, which we don't have time this morning to do, um, this quote from Isaiah is not a direct quote from a specific passage in Isaiah. It's actually taking part of Isaiah chapter 9 and part of Isaiah chapter 42 and lumping them together because it was the teaching of Isaiah that they were quoting. It wasn't necessarily a direct quote out of the book of Isaiah but it was pulling concepts or thoughts and putting them into this one statement. So um, if you were to study that, you'll, you'll learn that. But don't, don't let that be th- throw you. It's just they weren't specifically quoting chapter and verse out of Isaiah. They were saying out of the prophecies about the Messiah, which chapter 9 is a prophecy about, about the Messiah, and chapter 42 is a prophecy about the Messiah, these things were true. Now, the thing that I find interesting is that it says those of those people who were dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. If this is talking about Jesus, then it's this idea in my mind, and, and, and I don't know what your experience is with darkness. I mean, obviously you live in Fairbanks and so it gets dark, but it's never truly completely dark in Fairbanks. There's always some light. But if you've ever been underground in a cave, I have been. And I have been in a place where the whole crowd is there and the tour guide says, make sure everyone stands perfectly still because we're going to turn off the lights for a second. And so everyone's standing perfectly still and they turn off the lights and you literally can't see your hand right in front of your face. It's total dark. There's no light whatsoever. Then they just light a little light, like a match or a little pen light or something and you begin to see the whole room. Now, you, you can't see it as well as if it was fully illuminated, but that tiny little glow from that tiny little pen light, flashlight, or a little lighter, whatever it is that they use to light, 
it, it just invades the darkness. And it illuminates literally across the room. Now, eventually it gets darker. Yes, sir? It's, it's reflecting back. Exactly. So, so what this is talking about in my mind is I have this image in my head. The people dwelling in darkness. It's like they're in that cave. And the lights have been totally shut off. They cannot see their hand in front of their face. And that's how they're having to live their entire existence. In this place of complete and utter darkness. Can you imagine I cannot imagine. That's when I was thinking about the idea of prisoners in a prison cell. John the Baptist. It's talk about right here. He'd been arrested and was now in prison. He was in that kind of a place of darkness. And I can't even imagine the joy of having somebody walk in with a small torch. Your light! I remember as a kid, there was a a thing called The Twilight Zone. Do you remember that TV show, The Twilight Zone? Well, there was an episode that I saw where there was this colony of people from Earth who had gone to some planet somewhere that had poison rain. And so they had to stay inside their habitation, their buildings, whenever the rains came. And the rains came like once or twice a day. And so they always had to run. Whenever the rains were coming, they had to run for shelter because they could be killed by these rains. Well, this one guy gets caught out in the rain and he doesn't kill him, but it changes him and distorts him. And literally the way they made it look on the show is these huge bulk, go, go, frog eyes. These huge eyes that are all with, with, with uh, uh, veins and stuff. It's just really gross looking. And I'm sorry. Right. And so then there's at, at, towards the end of this episode, he traps this young woman outside of the building because he wants her to be changed like him so that they can be together forever and live in this new paradise. And she's like, no, no. And so she runs because he's locked her out. She can't get into the building. And so she's running to the only shelter she knows, which is a cave. And she runs into the cave and there's a small a uh, small, tiny little uh, campfire there. And it's not even really a campfire. It's just a, a stick that's been put in the ground burning. And she runs there. And this guy chases into her. But he has to run through the dark tunnel of the cave to get where the light is. And as he's running through, and she's back even beyond that. She's, she's left that part of light. She's hiding in the shadows from him. And he's, he runs into the cave. And you... You're now seeing from her perspective as she's hiding in the darkness, you're seeing her look at the opening where he's coming from and you hear him begin to scream in pain and agony. <laughs> and then he comes finally around the corner and there's that tiny little flame. And he's like, yes, thank you. Light, light. And then he gets down over it and he accidentally blows it out and he starts screaming and then he dies. It's a horrible, horrible thing. And then they rescue her and she, she's safe. Okay, but he had to be where there was light because otherwise he would die. It was something that changed in his physiology. But that as I was thinking about this, this being in darkness and the the agony of being dark, that's the image that I had was that television show, that guy suffering in darkness and having to find light somehow just so he can have some peace. 
And when he comes around the corner into that cave where there's that tiny little flame, and he's like, yes! Maybe it was a candle. That's probably what it was. It was a candle. But anyway, he's like, yes! 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 And then when the darkness, when the, when the candle gets extinguished accidentally, he starts screaming again and ultimately dies. Um, that's the image that I have here. These, the people who literally dwelled in darkness have seen not just a little candle, but a great light. And for those who were living in the shadow of death, on them light has dawned. No longer do they have to walk in that darkness and that death. Yes, praise God, we finally have what we need to live. A real, genuine, honest, whole life. Yes, yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. The problem is, they don't know about him. And as we read in the Bible, Jesus was only on the earth for 30 plus years, 33 years or so. And he was only in ministry for three years. And then he went to be with the Father. And so it was left to the disciples to continue bringing the light to the people who were living in darkness. And if you look in Acts chapter 26, there's a really interesting statement by the Apostle Paul. Acts 26, if you look at it a little bit before, he's speaking to King Agrippa. Paul is in prison. He's getting, he's going to be sent ultimately to Caesar to plead his case in Rome. But he's in prison and he comes before King Agrippa and he starts telling his testimony. And he's talking about his time before knowing the Messiah as a, a zealot for the cause of Judaism and how he was going to eradicate this, what was known as the way back then. And he said, and I punish them often in all the synagogues and I try. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't give you the reference. It's uh, Isaiah 26, uh, 11 through 18. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and I tried to take, make them blaspheme and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. And in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. And at midday, O King Agrippa, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun. It shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. We know in Acts chapter 9 that, Jesus, that Saul met Jesus. But here we see the actual calling 
that Jesus put on Saul. And let me read you that last bit again, verse 18. I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul's commission from Jesus was to go to the people who were in darkness, carrying the light with him. The light of Christ, the light of life, the light of truth, the light of the gospel. So that they would turn from their darkness to the light. Why? And this is the other the key. So that they would turn from the power that Satan held over them and submit and be under the power of God. Ultimately, receiving forgiveness for their sins and having a place among the sanctified. Paul's calling was, you have light. And it is now your job to take it to those who are in darkness. Well, let's go back to Matthew chapter 4. I read it, but we didn't emphasize it. Let's look at this. Jesus enters into his ministry. He goes off to be tempted by the devil. During that time, John the Baptist gets arrested and thrown in prison. Jesus then begins his earthly ministry. And it says, verse uh, 17, from that time, Jesus did this. What did he do? Somebody who's turned there. He did not go out and say, God loves you. God has a wonderful plan for your life. God can make you wealthy. God can take away all your problems. God, he didn't say any of that. He literally said, it, it's recorded in all four Gospels, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, that's not real loving. I thought God was love. God is love. He loves you enough. He doesn't want you to remain in darkness. He doesn't want you to be in pain and under the, the oppression of living a life under the power of Satan. He wants you to be free. It says in John chapter 8, For if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. He is the light of the world. He came into the world to show the light. But he didn't take full responsibility for enlightening everyone. He literally poured out his life, his light, into 12. Only 11 made it. Then he poured his life and light into Paul, supernaturally following his ascension. Paul became that 12th apostle. Paul then had the commission from Jesus himself to make sure that everyone outside of the Jewish culture heard about Jesus and learned of the light. Why? So they could be forgiven of their sins and released from the power of Satan and be brought into the family of God. And the message is not God loves you. The message is God loves you so much that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, 
but have everlasting life. You see, I told the kids this morning, if they would just simply tell their friends Jesus loves them, that would be enough. Why? Because they're kids. But you guys who carry the light of Christ in you, you have a greater responsibility to the people you know and care about to say to them, God loves you enough that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. And you carry the light. And if you don't share the light with those around you who are in this black darkness where they are suffering, it is like you are keeping your light inside your backpack and looking inside every so often going, I'm saved and sanctified and I know it, praise God. Shut it up again because I don't want anybody else to know about my light. Turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians. Chapter 5. This one's a little bit lengthy, but I'm going to read 21 verses. This is Paul speaking. Remember Paul, the guy who was commissioned to tell all the people who were outside of the Jewish faith about Jesus? This is what he told one of those churches. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness, but must not be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand that the will, what the will of the Lord is. And don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The, I said I was going to go all the way through, but I'm going to stop. I want to go back and look at Ephesians 5, 8, and 9. Somebody read that for us. For you were once, told, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. 
And then the one that I have is that, and try to do, to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Okay. Yeah, let's add that. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. I find it intriguing that Paul says to these Christians, you were once darkness. He didn't say you were in the dark. He said you were once darkness. But now you are children of the light. Walk like you're children of the light. Wow. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. But instead, by shining the light of Christ, expose the works of darkness. But you see, our culture doesn't want to offend. Our culture wants to be tolerant. Our culture wants to just express that God is love. But the reality is God loved human beings enough that he's willing to confront and willing to say, you got it wrong and you need to get out of this darkness and out from underneath the power of Satan and you need, he did it with Paul. And I believe with all of my heart, he does it with all of us. The only difference is, is that he doesn't supernaturally appear in front of somebody in a brilliant light. Why? Because there's millions of us who carry the light every day. And all we have to do is open our backpack. So now my question to you is this, and this is how I'm going to close. Who's the last person you opened your backpack to? And I'm not talking about being a loving person too. And I'm not talking about being kind to doing unto others as you do would have them do unto you. Who is the last person that you said to them, Jesus loves you enough that he doesn't want you to continue in your sin. And I'm here to talk to you about it. Have you ever done it? The reality is, if you don't, and if you've never And if you never do, how do you call yourself a Christian? Because all you're doing is hold on to your backpack. Say, I got my get out of jail free card. I'm so excited. Yay! But you're no good to the kingdom. You might as well die now. Those are harsh words. But the reality is, if you're not working for the kingdom... Is it possible you're going to be one of the ones that say, but Lord, Lord, in your name I... And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. We jokingly were talking earlier this morning, Elsie and I, saying, some people say there aren't any Christians in that church. I say, well, there's some people who would be surprised to find out there are any Christian, there are, there are non-Christians who call themselves Nazarenes. There are non-Christians in every church because Jesus himself said, There will come a time at the judgment when some will be, but Lord, and he'll say, depart, I never knew you. That's a scary thought. But the reality is, folks, if you're not willing to get out of your comfort zone and tell people what you truly believe is true and what is the light for the world, 
then why do you bother coming here on Sunday? Because like I said, all you're doing is holding on to your backpack going, I got mine. I'm so happy. Now, I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you. That's the Holy Spirit's job. If he's doing it, great. Pray about it. Let him decide for you and with you how you're going to respond. But I would also say, if you have not recently told somebody that they're a sinner and they need Christ, you're going to answer to God about it, not me. And if you say, I want to see my church grow and thrive and see that vision of 150 fully devoted followers of Christ come to reality before I go to heaven, guess how it's going to happen? You're going to have to get out of your comfort zone and open up your backpack. Simple as that. They can't hear it if no one tells them. Okay, I'm done. Let's pray.